Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. So growing up, as I've explained before, I wasn't always the best youth, the best kid. Uh, My teacher said I always interrupted. I came to school to socialize and have fun. They came with their own agendas to to teach. And so for whatever reason, we, you know, had a lot of conflict in school. It didn't go so well for me. I got in trouble a lot. And as I look back, well, I lived into the expectations they had of me. You see, a lot of times they would say, I'm a troublemaker. So I did my best to live into that. They said I disrupted all the time. So I said, hey, I'll make sure you never get a full sentence in when you teach. I know my teachers did the best they could. I mean, as I look back, as I thought about this a lot recently, I can honestly say I I don't remember a teacher ever speaking encouraging words into my life. To be honest, I don't really blame them. I mean, there wasn't really a reason for them to speak positive things in my life. I didn't have good grades. I got in trouble all the times. But now that I look and my wife's a teacher, I'm like, oh, okay, they, they do got a, got a lot going on, right? I have a little bit more sympathy for teachers. And I didn't make it easy on them. However, when I was 16 years old, I was working part-time at a car wash. I had two jobs in high school. I was an electrician during the week. And on the weekends, I started working at a car wash. My buddy worked there, and he got me a job. And, and it was at that car wash where I met the general manager. His name was Kelly Pageant. He was the general manager building a new team. And when I got there and started working part-time, I'll never forget it because I was 16. He told me I had great abilities. He said, you're going to be a manager one day. In fact, he said, I think you can run your own car wash. I was 16 years old and it was the first person outside of my mom, right? My mom does not count. 16 years old, somebody told me I had great leadership abilities, and no one has ever spoken into my life like that. No one ever told me I could be anything other than a troublemaker. No one ever expected me to be anything other than a troublemaker. I don't remember anyone believing in me. And when I heard that from Kelly Pageant at 16 years old, I'll never forget it because I chose to live into those words. I went all in for that manager. I came before school to set up for the car wash. I would stay late, not getting paid a lot of times to learn how to fix equipment, to make sure that I knew what was going on. I did my best, I worked hard. Funny enough, several years later, I in fact did take his job as the general manager of that car wash. He moved on. He, I lived into what he said about me. But the funny thing about that is, is while I was in high school working hard, making good money, having leadership outside of school, in school, I never changed. I lived into exactly what they thought about me. I never changed once throughout all that time. I was doing well on the outside, 
But what they believed about me in school, well, I didn't want to disappoint them, did I? So I stayed true to that. And I'll never forget, a few years ago, I was at this, it was this thing called Leadership Summit. It's a leadership conference that many of you go to. And they talked about the leaders that made us. And they asked, have you ever thanked the leaders who made you, the leaders who spoke into your life the very first time? And I realized that at 16 years old, Kelly Pageant did that for me. And so I looked up Kelly Pageant to see what he was doing and to thank him because that's what they told you to do. The, the people who kind of spoke those first encouraging words or developed you or saw you for a leader said you should thank those people. So I looked him up and funny enough, Kelly Pageant is now a youth pastor. And I laughed and I said, well, look at that. I said, the only youth pastor to ever have influence in my life was a general manager of a car wash because I wasn't in church in my teenage years. He's doing, I bet, a, probably a great job at raising up leaders. Now, the reason we talk about that is because the words that he spoke into my life that day and the words that he believed that I ended up believing, well, made me, I really believe, partly made me of who I am today. He wasn't in my life for that long, but those words stuck with me. I bet if you think back to your life, you've probably had the same thing. I bet you can remember the people who spoke encouraging words to you, the people who told you that you're going to be somebody or you can do this. When you were discouraged, when you were depressed, when you were faced with a difficult circumstance, I bet you remember that person, hopefully it was a family member, who said, listen, you can do it. You can be better than this. That rose you up to a higher challenge. Maybe it was a coach or something like that in your life. I bet you also remember those people who said those harmful things. Those hurtful things. Some of us are still hanging on to those hateful words people said. We're still believing those negative things people said. We all know as we grow older, the truth is that words stick with us. Words are radically important. Words are powerful. Words can give life or words can destroy life. What you say really does matter. See, today what we're going to talk about isn't for you to learn new information. You probably know everything we're going to talk about. But it's being reminded. In fact, having self-awareness and being guarded in our speech. And my prayer for you today, my hope for you today, is that this week you will be challenged with me to be intentional about the things we say to other people. Because from the very beginning in the Bible, we've talked about this before, from the very beginning, it said, in the beginning, God created. How did God create? What did he do? He spoke everything into existence. And just a few chapters later in Genesis 3, God spoke, God made this creation, but in Genesis chapter 3, we see something else speak. We see the serpent, Satan, speak words of destruction, words of temptation. We see the powerfulness of words right from the beginning of the Bible. That's the crazy thing. God speaks goodness and God speaks life, but Satan speaks destruction. He speaks lies. And the crazy thing about it all is we are capable of both. Have you thought about that? We can speak life, we can encourage, or we can destroy, and we can tear down. God is goodness, Satan is full of lies, and we can do both. And we've already discussed our words are powerful. And James says, listen, this should not be. 
In fact, James knows that James is going to call us out. You and me, he's going to call us out on this idea that you and me, we both, we think it's okay to be content on one hand talking bad or one hand being disruptive, on one hand gossiping, on one hand cutting people down, on one hand having burst of anger. He's going to call us out that we think that's okay and then out of this same mouth we praise God. We'll call out to God in prayer. We'll call out, we'll sing these praises, but then we'll go out and talk bad about people. He says, no, no, that's not okay. He explains why. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to James chapter three. We're gonna start in verse one. If you haven't been here with us or you haven't been here in a while, we've been going verse by verse through the book of James. James is the brother of, yeah, book of James. James is the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. He's, his whole idea is teaching you, teaching me how to become mature Christians. Remember, we learned our goal as a follower of Jesus isn't just to cross the thresholds of heaven to get into heaven. Our goal is to become mature Christians, to become godly in our faith. And James is going to remind us that being self-aware and guarded in our speech is a pathway towards maturity. Here's how he starts this off, James chapter 3, verse 1. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We'll pause there. Now, before he launches into his main topic, again, James is kind of all over the place, he discourages people from becoming teachers. We know he's referring to teachers of God's word because he includes himself in this, and he's talking to believers. And of course, we know that James was a prominent church leader. Teachers have always been important to the faith, and instead of encouraging it, he's discouraging it. Well, why? Well, because back then, teachers would have had this prestige in the community. They would have been looked up to, and we've already learned that he's caution them about showing favoritism, right? Remember the the systems, the social systems? He's already said, listen, you shouldn't show favoritism just because someone's rich. You need to treat the rich people and the poor people the same way. So now he's speaking back that into that. Like, listen, you shouldn't try to become a teacher just for prestige, just so people look at you, just to to have people look up to you. You don't want that type of authority. He says, because we're going to be judged. Teachers will be judged more, more strictly. It's what everybody finds out when they become a boss. You remember before you got any leadership or management jobs and you just sat there and you just thought how easy it'd be to be the boss? Seemed like all I do is sit back and relax. And you became the boss and you're like, man, I want to go back down and be the employee now. All right, it's work, right? Once you become the boss, you realize how much pressure and how much stuff you have to deal with now. That's what's going on with teaching. Once you find out the burden and the weight of trying to properly teach God's word, It's a heavy, heavy burden. I mean, anyone I've ever met that had to teach God's word feels the seriousness and the weight of it. A weight we can't describe. Not only do you have the same public speaking fears of everybody else. You know, nobody likes speaking in public, not just you. None of us do. We all worry about mispronunciations, which I am famous for, right? I should make all of you feel good about yourselves. I can't pronounce any Bible names. You already know that. I got Peter and Jesus down. That's about it. We all worry about stuttering. We all, we all worry about cotton mouth, looking foolish. I mean, you have the weight of public speaking, and then you have the weight of accurately, accurately teaching the Bible. So if you call yourself a teacher, you sit there and you explain the Bible. Jesus says, James says, well, you're going to be judged more strictly for that. 
Because not only, does, not only do we feel the weight of having to properly explain God's word, our gift involves speech, which is one of the hardest things to control, which James is going to explain to us. So we will have more of an opportunity to sin. Look at verse 2. He says, we all stumble in many ways. Would we all agree with that? Yeah, everybody's like, okay, good. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. This is James' way of saying what Paul says. We all fall short of the glory of God. Not just teachers stumble, but all of us stumble. James lets us know right up front, listen, all of us are dependent upon the grace of God for this. What he's about to go into, because none of us are going to get it right. And why this is important is because immediately we start talking about speech and how we talk, you and I, none of us can ever think that it doesn't mean anything for us. We can never assume it's not important for me. I got this figured out. James is saying, no, no, no. Nobody has this covered. Everybody needs to pay attention. Every need, everybody needs to watch out for what they say. He says all self-discipline starts with the controlling of our tongue, which is speech. Look at verse 3. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we could turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. The tongue, right? He's talking about our speech, but our mouth can actually do amazing things. You can control a horse, that majestic, massive animal, by little bits. You control a ship, he says, by that little part of the, of the ship. He says, in other words, when we can control our tongue, what we do with our tongue can control, can direct great things. Our speech can set the direction for other people's lives, like that general manager did for me. Have you thought about that? Your speech can set the direction for another human being's life. It's pretty powerful if you think about it, isn't it? Those words we hang on to, that's how powerful it is. In fact, your speech can set the direction for your life. In fact, it probably does. If you woke up every day and you said this, today's going to be horrible and miserable. I'm going to do a terrible job. Everybody's going to talk bad about me and I'm going to fail. How good do you think that day is going to go? You'll live right into it, won't you? You'll just be expecting the worst. You'll be looking for the worst. You'll be so negative about your day. Our speech has the power. That's why James says it makes great boasts. He's saying your tongue, although it's so small compared to the rest of your body, Sets the direction, can do amazing things for your entire life. Pretty powerful. He says, how powerful is it? Look at the second part of verse 5. He says, consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. We've all seen the damage a forest fire can do, haven't we? All you have to do is turn on the news and something's burning in California. I don't know why. This isn't a political thing, but why is there always fires in California? Have you noticed that? They always, Eric, we got to talk about that after here. Why is California always on fire, okay? Think about that. But we all know the power, the power of a spark. 
Last weekend we went camping. The men were sitting around the fire and the boys were trying to start their own little fire in the corner. Nobody was concerned. I was a little concerned. I was the responsible one. The rest of them weren't really concerned. And you have the boys over there because it rained and they were just using flint and steel and like, oh, nothing's going to happen. So the boys over there trying to start a little fire. Nothing's going on. Nothing's going on. Then all of a sudden, one of the boys, not going to say who, grabbed a lighter. We look over. You have a whole bunch of straw. I mean, um, the pine needles that had dried out because they've been trying this for about an hour and a lighter. The power of a spark. We look over. All of a sudden, there's another fire. We immediately shut that down pretty quick, that little flame turned into something so much larger, something we all knew could get out of control very quickly. James says, our speech is like a spark. You think it's harmless, but if it hits the right thing or if it hits the right person, it can cause destruction. It doesn't seem powerful, but remember, it can set the course for someone's life. It can set the course for your life. And that little spark, that little negativity, or those little positive things can do something. And I have to admit, this is one thing I have great experience with. Over the course of my life, I have gotten in far more trouble for the things I've said than anything else. It's been a problem of mine. It always has been. How many times have you said something that you wish you didn't say? Anybody else? Almost all of us agree. Yeah, all of us do this. And that's the powerful thing about speech, though. It's like toothpaste. Once it comes out, you can't put it back in, can you? It's out for good. Here's what he says, verse 6. He says, the tongue is also a fire. Not just a spark now. A fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. You thought I was joking about how powerful it is, didn't you? Sets the whole course of one's life on Say that with me. Fire. Woo. And itself on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's restless evil, full of deadly poison. He's not very positive about our tongues, is he? It's the brother of Jesus who denied Jesus when he was on earth. You think he regrets some of the things he said? You think he has experience with saying things to his brother who he realizes after he dies and raised from the dead, you really are who you said you are, and then through his whole life, you think he said some things he wished he could take back? Think he's living with that speech regret? Yeah, it sure is. He says the tongue has the power to burn your entire life down. It's capable of massive evil. Set your entire life on fire. I mean, think about it at work, that one day you just get tired enough and you decide to tell your boss how you really feel. How's that work out? Then you lose your job, then you lose your house, then you lose, right, so on and so on. Burn your whole house down that one thing, that one time. How many of us have set our marriages on fire with our tongues? Yep, just saying why did it get real quiet? <laughs> Yet 99% of our problems with Jessica and I is because I decide, look, I took the blame for that one, right? It's true. I just got to say it. Now I've learned nothing's worth my marriage. 
that fight isn't worth my marriage because me and Jessica, we take it all the way up, right? But the tongue is a fire. It takes a whole lot more effort to put out a fire than it does just not to start it. Have you ever thought about that? It takes a whole lot more effort to put out a fire than it does just not to start one. And James tells us our, our tongue is set on fire by what? By hell. By hell. Satan wants to use our speech for destruction. He wants us to, to get involved with that so we say the wrong things, we do the wrong things, and we start this controversy. Look at verse 9. He says, with the tongue, we praise the Lord our Father. This is the problem. We praise the Lord our Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made, this is this whole argument, been made in God's likeness. We think we have an excuse because we're upset. We think we have an excuse because they've hurt us or because they did something we don't like. But he says they are made in the image of God. All human beings are. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? No, becomes a mixture, Useful, useless. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olive oils? I mean, olives. Can an apple tree produce watermelons? We're like, no. And then, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt springs produce fresh water. So that's a negative thing. He hits us with the problem. This is the issue. Our tongue, he's made the case for how powerful our tongues are. And how we must be on guard with our speech at all times. And he creates all sorts of problems for us. It can set the course of our lives. It can burn our lives down. And yet at the same time, we praise God. The highest form of human speech is praising God. The greatest thing we can do is to praise and glorify God. And he says, yet... Yet we think it's okay, we live in this world that it's okay to praise God and then curse people. He said, this cannot be, this should not be. Because the answers to all of this can, is negative. And this point is, who do you think, who do you think you're fooling? Do you think those praises to God are landing correctly when you're just cursing your neighbor? When you're singing praise music, driving down, the, driving down the road and someone cups you off and you start screaming at them, you think those praises are hitting right? You think your heart's right? Do you think God approves of your speech when you're angry with everyone else? Misrepresenting his grace and mercy? Can fresh water and salt water come from the place, same place? He says no. So here's the issue. This idea, okay, to have burst of anger to gossip, to lie, verbal abuse, calling people's names, tearing people down, destroying people in situations by what we say or what we post. It's still speech, folks. You're going to be judged accordingly. Just It's the same thing, right? It's what we say. He says it's a big deal. Thinking we can do those things and still praise God? You're misrepresenting Jesus Christ. You're in sin when we tear people down. This goes if we do it to celebrities, if we do it to politicians, anyone in the public eye. For some reason, we think that if our culture says it's okay to tear people down if they're famous. Folks, it's not. 
Our first loyalty is Jesus Christ. We are representing him in what we do and what we say. And our speech really does matter. They too are made in the image of God. What we are doing when we act like that is giving our Savior, who we want people to know, we're giving him a bad reputation. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew. He says, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. All that talk we do, we don't think matters. Jesus says, it's been right here for 2,000 years for you to read. Every bit of it matters. What we say matters. Now, I don't know about you, but my immediate response is, you know what? I just won't talk anymore. I mean, it's not possible for me. Maybe it's actually possible for you. My immediate response is fine. I'll just be quiet. And some of us are like, exactly. That's why I don't talk. You're nudging your spouse. I'm just going to be quiet. But the problem is, as Christians, we're not called to be quiet. Look at what Paul says in Colossians 4. He says this. He says, let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So we're supposed to be in these conversations. We're supposed to be full of grace. Look at what he says in Ephesians 4, 15. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love. So we're to have these conversations. We're to speak in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him. In our speech, we want to grow to become mature. So here's the idea. As an infant, we want to teach him to speak. Then about three years old, we regret that we taught them to speak, don't we? All right, that's a different issue. But as an infant, we teach him to speak. Then we teach him how to properly speak. Then as they get older, we continue to teach them how to read and how to write. And we have to continue to help them grow to become mature adults. In the same way, every Christian needs to understand we start off immature. And it's okay. You can be 60 years old and immature in Christ. That's okay. It's normal. It depends on when you came to Christ, your experience, and all that. But what we have to recognize is our speech matters just like anything does. And we may be an immature Christian. We just need to grow in it. Just like everything else needs to grow, everybody else needs to grow. We need to grow in our speech to become and reflect our Savior. So he's teaching us how to do this. Look what Proverbs 18.21 says. It says, the tongue has the power of life. You should memorize this this week. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So our words can speak life. Our words can speak destruction. It's up to us. See, last week I was reminded of this. This isn't a coincidence that all this is coming together. Last weekend at that Warrior Week in that campground, one of the things they do, right, it's the father and son event. I'm, we'll talk about it more as time goes on. One of the things they do is the fathers. They bring up all the, the fathers of, of um, young boys who are transitioning into like seventh or eighth or eighth or ninth, something like that. But they bring them all up front and they have the father speak over their boys. And so they speak a blessing over their boys. They tell their boys how much they love them in front of the group. And they tell them about who they're going to become in Christ. It's this powerful, amazing things where they're speaking encouragement to these boys. And so we watch six or seven men and their boys, these fathers get up there in the middle of the woods, right? This campground speaking over their sons. There's a hundred men in there with no dry eyes. 
None. And we're all just watching this. I'm confident some of us were thinking, I wish my father would have been like that. Others were thinking, I can't, excuse me, others were probably thinking, I miss my father and what he meant. But I guarantee you, all of us were sitting there thinking, yes, I need to do that for my son. I need to speak truth over him. I need to speak a blessing over him. I'd never seen anything like that before. Grown men all telling their sons how they feel and what they, become, what they can become in Christ. It was a powerful moment because the truth is, and it doesn't matter how tough you are, we all need words of gratitude, validation, honor, and encouragement. All of us need people speaking positive things in our lives. So let's try it. This week, that's our homework. We're going to have homework this week, and I'm excited for you. Let's be intentional. My teachers used to give me homework all the time. Now I get to give homework. Isn't that fun? And I'm grading you, okay? I'm going to ask your spouse if you did it. We got quiet real quick, right? Let's be intentional. Intentional about speaking life into everyone we encounter. Like, let's keep this on our mind all the time because it's easy, I know, it's easy to come here, hear me. By the time you get to the parking lot, now you're talking about what's for lunch and then, then it's done. Starting after this, let's walk it, let's everybody we encounter speak life. And I ask you, when was the last time you actually thought about how you talk to other people? When was the last time it was even on your radar that you might not be that good at it? When was the last time you asked your spouse how you come across, your friends how you come across? When was the last time you asked yourself, do I just seem angry? You may be surprised if you start asking those questions. So let's try it. There's four ways in which we're going to work this. Four ways in which I'm going to encourage you to do this. Four different ways we can speak into people's lives. And the great thing is we see the Apostle Paul doing this as well, right? So it's biblical. Let's first speak words of gratitude. Speak words of gratitude. First Thessalonians, this is Paul speaking to this church. Look at how he talks to him in chapter one. You can read on the whole thing at um, home when you get home. First Thessalonians 1, 2. He says, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. So he's speaking words of gratitude, talking about how he's thankful for them. He thanks God for them. I mean, if my wife came home and said, I thanked God for you today, I'd be like, you should have. I'm just kidding. I, wouldn't have, I probably would say something like that. But wouldn't that speak to you? If someone said, I thanked God for you, like I'm just so thankful for you. When was the last time you told someone you're thankful for them? One of the things I like to do, and I try, and I'm not perfect, so, you know, but one of the things I try to do is I try to thank people for things they've taught me they don't know they're teaching me. So I try to just let people know, like, hey, you know, I learned this from you. You didn't even know you were doing it, but I really picked this up from you, and I appreciate that. I just have to let people know and try my best to thank them for things. Or how about we speak words of encouragement? Speak words of encouragement. Look what Paul says, 1 Thessalonians 1.3. He says, remember you, we, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, I remember your work. I remember your labor. I mean, imagine if your boss came up to you and said, man, I've seen your work. I've seen how hard you're working, your labor and your endurance. Woo! I just appreciate you. How would that make you feel? It'd make you feel good. Of course it would. Don't pretend you're tougher than that. We all need this stuff. We're human beings. 
We need encouragement. It's okay. So speak words of encouragement, which is giving someone support or confidence and hope. Or words of honor. You can speak words of honor. Look at what Paul says here. 1 Thessalonians 1.4. He says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Honor is about respect and understanding their worth, right? Like, wow. And he's saying, look, God has chosen you. And if that doesn't seem like a big deal, this is saying that the creator who spoke absolutely everything to existence picked you. It's like, wow. Yeah, that's how valuable you are. That's how important you are. As we learned from our marriage conference, I wanted to say last year, but, you know, COVID happened. So it was 2019, the Love and Respect conference that we did. We learned that um, respect... All right, remember this, ladies? Ladies, if you tell your husband you respect them and you give them reasons, you remember how that is just what husbands want to hear? Y'all remember that? So y'all need to come to these marriage things we do, okay? Respect is how men, men just feed off of that. And that's what honor is about, respecting people. And then lastly, speak words of validation, which is the expression of acceptance for another person. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.7, he says, And so you became a model To all the believers, you became a model like everybody's watching what you're doing. Everybody's impressed what you're doing. I mean, you have become the model church. Do you know every single person's desire is to be loved and accepted for who they are? All of us want that. With our spouses, with our friends, we slowly reveal more and more of who we are, just hoping they're not going to reject us. That's our All of us have that. We all want to be validated. So what if we did this? Do this with me this week. Here's all four of them. Speak words of gratitude to people. Speak words of encouragement. Speak words of honor. Speak words of validation. And don't text it to them. Speak it to them. Don't text it to them. Speak it to them. Let them know. Everybody. And if this is hard for you, like, I don't know if I can do this. Don't you think we should be doing this? As Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, isn't this, shouldn't this be what we're about? If words are important, if people are important, shouldn't we be building others up in Jesus Christ? And this is how we can do it. So for seven days, y'all gonna try it with me? Come on now, who's gonna try it? All right, the rest of you, I'm gonna email you, okay? We have it on the camera who raised their hands. Listen, everybody try this with us. Let's speak validation, encouragement, honor, and gratitude to people. Let's choose to represent our Savior, Jesus Christ, and let's show every person that they are important and they're loved by God. And hopefully through your kind words, through your expressions, through these kinds of encouragement and these kinds of words to people, perhaps you can express the greatest news of all because Christians never forget we are called to be ambassadors of the greatest news ever. We are ambassadors of the good news of Jesus Christ. And if somebody met you or the people who know you, do they even think you're possible of talking about some good news? Or is it just negative news? I'm about to start talking about the news cycle again. I'm going to get off of that. We talk about that enough. But let's be people of good news. The gospel is good news. And so for a week, let's see. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for your word and how we're encouraged and reminded about the power of our words. 
God, we have all failed at this. James reminds us that all of us do sin. So we know we're completely and utterly dependent upon your grace to pull this off. But Lord, let us be ambassadors of you. Let us speak positively to our spouses. Let's encourage our spouse. Let's choose to speak life to our friends and to our employees and to our boss, to all those we encounter. Let's choose to set the direction of their life the best we can towards a positive, encouraging, hope-filled life. Father, please forgive us of the times we didn't guard our tongue, the times we let loose the outburst of anger, the times we did not represent you well. Recover us in your grace. Forgive us for where we fail, but Father, let us leave today and for the next seven days be intentional about speaking life rather than death. Father, we thank you and love you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.